Hi everyone, this is International Society of Hypertension Podcast. I'm Associate Professor Francine Marques from Monash University, Australia, and my co-host is Dr. Augusto Montesano from the University of Glasgow, Scotland. Today, we have the pleasure to interview Dr. Mansi Patil, who is the director of the India Association for Parental and Enteral Nutrition. She's a trained UNICEF Nutrition Rehabilitation Center expert and is a trainer of trainers consultant for the Infant and Young Child Nutrition Program. Dr. Patil is a member of the Women in Hypertension Research Committee and the Regional Advisory Group, both South and uh, Central Asia of the International Society of Hypertension. Uh, Masu, welcome and thank you so much for agreeing to have the interview with us today. Thank you, Francina. Thank you, Guto, for having me here today. It's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be with you both. Mansi, it is a pleasure to us as well, because I'm sure we're going to have like lots of stories to uh, to talk about and to inspire people that listen to our podcast. So just to start, do, would you mind sharing with us a little bit of your story and how did you get involved with research and hypertension? I think that's, a, that's an interesting story. If I would um, try and recall it the right way. So I started off as an allied healthcare professional. And that's where my interest in preventive lifestyles got in. Uh, somewhere down the line, I did my bachelor's and I felt, okay, now I'm done. And I, I said, okay, no, I, I at least need a master's to take my interest in preventive healthcare ahead. And so I did my master's in nutrition and dietetics. Once I did that, it's, you know, we, we do a dissertation. So my dissertation was on cardiovascular diseases. And that's where I realized, okay, now there's a lot to cardiovascular diseases as well. So I would need to specialize further. And that was the time I was also working in a hospital and with a few consultants. Uh, and what I realized is these, the, the patients who came, they had a lot of other complications, but somehow hypertension was constant. It, it was common for all of them and it was taken for granted. No one really stressed too much on it. And that's where I picked up my PhD in lifestyle management and hypertension. While doing my PhD with the thesis work and all the research and uh, you know exploring that we do, I uh, came across ISH and it was probably on a whim that I sent in my um, application to be a part of it. That probably was the changing moment when it, the application got accepted and I attended the first conference in Seoul uh, for the ISH conference, uh, the biennial conference, where I, and I met people who were passionate and who realized that hypertension is more than just the numbers, just the systolic and diastolic. So that's what triggered and that's what got me into hypertension. And believe me, I think ISH has been the turning point for me because it got the passion of hypertension into me to believe that yes, we can look at preventive aspects. We can look at a, a multidisciplinary approach to hypertension. That probably in short is where I come from. 
That's wonderful. And um, Cece, you touched on the importance of the society. I was wondering if you can comment on how you think that uh, being part of the society, being part of any professional societies in, in general, has helped you to advance your career. When we say we are being part of a society, we need to understand that we are part of a group of people who have similar thoughts. We are more like-minded and we are looking at a similar target. So when we have, we are part of the society, we are networking with each other and we are learning a lot. Probably if I am there as an individual and isolated island, I can just learn and read and research as much. The moment I have 10 people around me researching, talking about the same topics, it just blows out of proportion. You know, it's, it's like uh, uh, we are learning at an exponential level. And it's like a person has already read 10 papers and I just need to sit and listen to that person and I will get the gist of those 10 papers. <laughs> so that's one. The other is you'll end up knowing a lot of opportunities that come across around the world. It's not only about where we are uh, to do our work where we are locally or regionally. We need to know what's happening around the world. And the best way to do it is to get in touch with people. And an association or a society gives that platform for us. I think that's where I would say that it's the most important to be part of multiple societies and not just one, interact with people, be proactive. That's probably what people, I have realized a lot of the people would not do. They would expect the society to come and talk to them. It has to be the other way around. We being proactive, we going and reaching out to people to you know, learn more, to research more, to find opportunities, and believe me, in an association, at least my experience has been this, wherever, whenever I have approached a person, I've rarely ever got a negative response. It's always been positive. It has always been someone who's guided me further ahead. I think those advantages, apart from that, a very major issue is when we are um, localized, we would think locally. We don't expand our horizons and an association or a, or a society helps us in expanding those horizons. The thought process itself is becomes, you know, a much broader one. I would say that's something that I would say is why we should always be a part of a society. Yeah, I think that that feels wonderful. I even got goosebumps when you're talking about uh, how it blows out of proportion, all the knowledge and the ideas and everything else. I love that. And I can relate a lot. Being in Australia, sometimes we can feel quite isolated. So it is so important to be part of other societies. And as I said, many societies should be able to have that interaction as well. True. Listen, I mean, just like to, yeah. I know, just to add to that, so you're part of like two different committees from the edge, right? So the Women in Hypertension Research and the, the RAG. Um, how, how did you become part of those committees? Because the one thing that people need to notice from you is that like, you're not shy. You're very good in, in going to the conferences and uh, interacting with people. So like that's one of your strong points. 
which like different from when I started because I was very shy trying to hide from everything and everyone. So it's like, how did you, uh, how did you start? Like, because you started going to Asian Seoul, which is like very recent. So how did the committees and participation came through? I think that also would date back to my bachelor's when probably in my whole class, uh, there wasn't a lot of people who were ready to come forward and talk. So I used to be pointed out, okay, Mansi, get up and answer this. Mansi, you would be comparing this. It started there where I probably didn't land up having a choice. I, by nature, if you ask me, I'm a very shy person. I don't interact much. I am one person who'd love to stay at home and, you know, not go out in a group. But uh, it is something when I started talking to people, I realized that there's so much that I'm not, there's so much that I don't know. And there's so much people will come and tell me if I am interacting. So that is how it started for me. The conferences were a big boost because ultimately I could pick up things from there. I could incorporate, come back to India, incorporate in my practice, in my research. And uh, that triggered for me to keep interacting. And then I realized once you interact, it's not that difficult to open up and talk. Uh, being a part of committees, is obviously a huge, huge boost to the morale, to you yourself. And you feel, okay, so what I'm doing is not wrong. Somewhere I'm going on the right path. If people are, you know, you, you get that recognition. Uh, how did I land up being there? I guess people who chose me would land up answering better. I am still at times very lost about um, why me. Because there are a lot of times you see people, peers who are there with you and you feel that, no, their work is so much more important than what I probably am doing. I, I, I don't know if the others have that feeling or not, but I do have that uh, feeling that I'm, I could do way better than what I'm doing right now. And there are people who are doing it much more and probably are more worthy of being where I am today. But that's like, I think it's a good advice for people that go to conferences. Like you may not be fully aware why, why it's being chosen, but people need to know that the chairs of committees, they, uh, when interacting with one of them, they're looking for uh, fresh air to their committees, right? So they say like, oh, wait, that person has that characteristic that's going to be very important to my people. So let me like, you know, entertain the idea of having that person. So it's pretty much like how you interact, let's say one example, Usha, uh, for the women in hypertension research. And she's like, she has the characteristics that I need and I want my committee. And Francine can expand on that as a chair, Francine. Um, okay, to say, uh, don't, be, uh, don't be modest because you're doing yourself and all the other women are the service. Uh, you were chosen to be in the committee for many of your traits and many of the hard work that others have seen on you. So don't be modest about why people chose you on the committee over other people because you deserve your spot there. Okay. So, um, True. yeah. That, that's true. There's always 
there's always the spotters, right? They look like, hmm, that person. <laughs> Let's get them. <laughs> and if you're chosen, yeah, you're chosen for a reason. So don't ever doubt yourself of why you're there and don't doubt the contributions you have already made and the contributions you're going to make, okay? So, Thank you for that. So Mansi, like we are the mentoring and training committee and in the podcast, we like to talk a lot about mentorship. And I think like you have like a, a very uh, interesting story on the topic of mentorship, if you don't mind sharing with us. So if I uh, like just to start again, the, this topic of mentorship, if you need to define mentorship in one uh, word, what would be the word for you? One word for the mentorship that I have had? One word is way too less. Um, can I combine words? Fantastic, fabulous, absolute, you know, absolutely yeah, you awesome. You can make, you can make, you can be like Mary Poppins. You can make your whole yes. long word. <laughs> what was that? Super califragilistic experience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it was absolutely fabulous. Absolutely no words. Uh, it was enriching if I want to take it on a more academic level, then yes, it was enriching. It was fabulous. It was fantastic. It was awesome. So it was fun. <laughs> and do you think mentoring is important? And if you do, why? Um, it is absolutely important. It is the need of the day because one, like I said, you need to connect with people. If you have one person of contact who's senior to you, who's going to help you connect further or help you guide further, it is always an advantage. It's something like, you know, if you're lo looking for research papers on Google, it's a sea of papers you get. You go to PubMed, you have a more focused uh, set of papers that you'll get, or you go to Cochrane, you'll have a more focused set of paper and you'll be more accurate in what you're trying to search. So that's how I would describe a mentoring uh, requirement or the need for mentoring. It cannot, uh, it will help you advance the career. It would help you advance your own skills. Identify where you're lacking. That is a place where, you know, that, that's something people would not tell you on your face. They would either reject you or they would either tell you, it's not good enough, but why is it not good enough is what mentoring would help you with. What is it in your career graph that is lacking is what mentor, a mentor lines up telling you. Through ISH, I was mentored by uh, Dr. Gavin Lambert, Australia Swinburne University. Again, an absolutely fabulous person. Uh, you know, there are very small things that you learn from people. Apart from academics, what I realized is if I drop in, a, drop in a mail to him, it does not take him more than three to six hours to respond. And seeing the position that he holds, the kind of workload he would have to reply to a mentee within three to six hours with directional feedback is... is it, it, cannot be it cannot get better than that and to each and every male yeah no. can i tell you he's also my mentor and he does that with like i know other mentees as well he does that to everybody 
it's amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and when you land up responding, let's say, um, after a day, you actually feel, okay, my God, I need to, you know, speed up with what I'm doing and respond earlier. So, you know, it's not just the academics. It's just not the research that you learn from a mentor. It is probably more of ethics as well that you land up imbibing and the dedication. I mean, I would not have maybe realized the extensive work a mentor requires if it would not have been forgiven. Absolutely. No, he's a wonderful mentor and I have learned a lot from him as well. And Nancy, when in your career you realized that you needed a mentor? I think that's a great question. So maybe I realized I needed a mentor once I had one. (laughs) Up till then, uh, I had guides with me, research guides. Somehow, the difference between them and Gavin was huge. So I I never really realized, I I never really um, understood what a mentor is until and unless I had him there to guide me through. it has been, if you, I mean, the the journey that's been there for me up till given, there was no one person I could go to. It was, I used to try and search what is there that I can do. I used to do that, whatever I could, whenever I could. That's how it was. There was no fixed path for me. So it's when Gavin told me that, no, let's start focusing. Get a focus into it get things in place, get aligned. What is it that you really want to do after 20 years and why, when, where? That is when I said, okay, no. I I took a, I stood there for a moment and said, okay, right. So this is why I needed a mentor. I probably applied for the mentorship position because it was there. (laughs) Not really realizing how badly I really needed it. Mm-hmm. yeah because that's the, that's the, like that's like something from your story that i think is going to be very inspirational to uh to our listeners is because like um i remember like an interview that you gave to the women in hypertension research that you said um that you you were navigating the thing your path by yourself and many of the things in your career you had to do yourself and now you can see the difference when the mentor came in how like open up your uh, your opportunities just like to tell you like a simple thing so it's it's really like important for to realize that like you don't have to do things alone uh you can always find it, it may not work right in the beginning like you may not get like the right mentor for you in the beginning but you it will open doors and ideas in your path no i think Very- that's a wonderful example yeah i really really enjoyed listening to your story that's true I mean uh, it's it's I guess now when I look back and say I would say that it's more about keep working and things will sort sort them out themselves and mentorship has been something that is needed it's needed for everyone I was the same thing Uh, it took me a while to realize and when I received I was like why I wasn't doing this way before. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what I was waiting for. 
Yeah. And uh, Mansi, do you have mentees now? Do you mentor other people? Um, so I don't have officially mentees that you know they're going to be for with me for a specified period of time, but there are a lot of students, there are a lot of people who keep coming back to me about what can be done, what should be done, and uh, what's the best way to go ahead. So through IAPN, uh, we've started the hypertension and nutrition group in IAPN. It, it's a special interest group. This is where we try and get these people all together, have small uh, talks, interactive sessions, and get them all together to see what would they like to do and how we can help them. So not official mentees, but yes. So I think WhatsApp has some has opened up avenues. So everyone's okay. there on WhatsApp here. And yeah, no, wonderful, yeah. And uh, what would be, if you can describe your mentoring style? So for these people that you help, that you give them advice, that you interact with them, uh, what would be your style of giving advice and how, uh, can you give us any examples of ways that you have helped them? Um, if you really ask me, it depends on where this mentee stands. There are people who are absolutely freshers, just out of uh, college, undergrad, undergrad or post-graduation. And they are the people who would land up asking, what do I do? And then there's a stage where it comes, how do I do it? So for mentoring, the style changes for these two. When, it, when someone says, what do I do? I would land up telling them, look, these are the options that I can think of. Why don't you go and have a look at them? See if you find something interesting, interesting beyond that. But the focus has to be there. That's something that I've learned. You cannot be all over the place. I cannot say that I'm in hypertension, I'm in stroke, I'm in, you know, I'm in uh, communicable diseases as well. It, it has to be focused if I'm looking at, um, that's, that's what I feel. If I'm looking at success, it has to be focused. I'm sure there'll be people who will probably disagree with that. But uh, so that's something I tell them that you decide where you are and what you can do. For uh, people who are younger, they can take more risks, they can try more things, they can uh, explore more avenues. They have that time, they have the liberty, they have the flexibility to do it. So that's what I would generally advise them to do it. Uh, advise them to do when it comes to a little a person who's a little more senior to that and who would say okay this is what I'm already doing now how do I take it ahead or how do I do something else that's where probably it becomes a more intense discussion about uh, where do they see in the themselves in the next 10 years what are the resources they have what is the flexibility that they can get into it uh, because in all honesty the people who come to me, the mentees, they are mostly women. And it is practically not very possible if I tell them, okay, now you have an opportunity for one year across the world. So you just jump off, go there, and then come back after a year. A lot of times that is not possible for be it family, be it social, be it financial, whatever be the reasons. 
So to work within that purview of what is possible is something that we have to start developing. It is very easy for me to say, oh, you got an opportunity, let's say, in I'm you, this, this person is in India. And even if I say not going out of India, from one part of the, of, of the country to the other, it will not be practical. It will not be useful for that person. So maybe customizing the experience or the advice that I give would be the key to how we mentee the person. Now, how we mentor the person, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I think that's that's um, yeah, that's reasonable, and I think we do need to take into consideration uh, gender and resources and all of those other things we think. And Mansi, like when you're uh, talking to those mentees, so when you get to interact with them, what kind of uh, traits that you think the mentees have to have to be able to have a good mentor-mentee relationship? Um, I think the attitude matters on both sides, be it mentor or mentee. They're very similar traits that would be there for both. A mentee has to be hardworking. There are no results. There's no success which comes overnight. I mean, that's something people will have to realize. Uh, the other is time management. A lot of times you'll have, uh, you know, even as uh, mentees, it's not that they would be doing only this or working full time on this only. So managing time, being just to what you're doing, you know, uh, being honest to what they do, having the drive to succeed, a positive attitude and an open mind to learning. I think those are the key uh, traits a mentee needs to have or when a mentor or anyone even a peer tells you that this is something that you could change it is not always criticism it's how we take it and for that you need to have that positive set of mind that okay this is something if i can improve let's improve it Absolutely. why should we take it as a criticism none of us are perfect yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree with you that mentees need to um, be open to act on feedback, not just uh, yes. receive it. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And do you have any advice on how to identify a good training environment? That probably is the key to being, um, you know, to learn the best. And for that, we'll, a mentee needs to find what the organizational goals are. They have to be very clear organizational goals when they're looking at an environment, uh, institute or an organization that they intend to work with. If it is research, they will have to look at what the research productivity is. If it's clinical, what is the clinical productivity uh, that's there? The governance structure of that institute should ideally be participative. Until and unless there's an interaction, there is growth, it would not uh, really help. So those probably are certain key areas. Yes, it would matter who all are there. But honestly speaking, I think it is more important to see what is happening there. And just not going by the names. 
that they are it's it's a huge pull probably to see uh you know you've heard of a person and you're like okay this person is there in that institute so i want to go to that institute that is not the only criteria they have to be multitude of a multitude of character uh, criteria that we need to get in that could be one of those you need to connect with your mentor first probably try and understand if the mentoring style is something that you're looking for is that the style that you want and then uh, maybe look at an organization or an institute Yeah, so people are sometimes they forget that what they're doing at that moment, they're trying to choose an environment that they need to survive, right? So things has to happen to them. Um, and if you like a bad choice, it will have a, an impact on how you progress. <clears throat> Those are, are good advisements. So I just want to go back a little bit like to conferences. So like when you said like uh, that you were shy, but then when you were, talking to people and getting to know more, you, you find out like, okay, I need to get something shy. But in conferences, as an example, so if you see someone that you really want to talk to them, but you find them a little intimidating because they are a big name, hypertension or something. So like, you get like a little scared. Um, what a kind of advice or what do you do for you to overcome that fear and put yourself I think information is a very huge tool here. So you go listen to a few lectures by this person, the live lectures, attend what the person is talking about, Google him or her, try and see what are the research or clinically what this person is actually doing, what are the research objectives the person has, and is there within those objectives, is there somewhere that you fit in? And that is what you probably go and talk to this person. There are different ways of approaching a person. And in all honesty, depending on where, how, when you approach, the person would be receptive or not. So it is generally not a good idea if a person is going to go and give a talk and just two minutes before that you land up approaching that, hey, I'm so and so and you know, I'd like to talk to you about something. Probably not a great idea, probably not a very great idea immediately after a talk. So I would say uh, a reasonably, a time that is reasonably free for that person, generally gala dinners or, you know, a more social event interactions, like ISH has those new investigator meets. Those are the platforms where the, the people would come with the mind to come and interact. That is one place that you can do. A more um, indirect way of doing it is, uh, let's say there's a panel discussion and the floor is open for the audience to ask a question. So ask something that is relevant, that is interesting for that person and say that you know, the question is aimed at that person. So you've opened the door of interaction and then you go and talk to the person. So the person identifies you And then you can take it ahead. So maybe that's how, those are the few ideas that are there. But yes, being intimidating, uh, being intimidated doesn't help. It, you have to be out there. You have to talk. 
until and unless you don't talk people will not know what you are doing no, i think it, that's very good advice yeah some really good tips for um, our junior scientists on how to approach uh, people at conferences i like it you know asking a good question is always a good one yeah to get a conversation started yes and um, Mansi, we wanted to talk to you next about um, diversity and inclusion. And I think this will be particularly uh, uh, important considering your role in the Women in Habitation Research Committee. Um, I was wondering if you can comment on what do you think uh, the biggest issue around diversity and inclusion is and how you think we can change that? Uh, what inclusion? I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? What is uh, what are the biggest barriers that you see in terms of inclusion and diversity? And if you have any suggestions or things that we could do to try to address that, being inclusive for women, right? Yeah. Any um, type of uh, being inclusive? Yeah. I I was going to ask that. Uh, see, ultimately, it is uh. Somewhere we have to, as women, take the step forward that we are committed to this role. Yes, it uh, and the inclusivity, inclusivity, the you know this term probably doesn't uh, only land up being specific for men. It's not that they are not being inclusive for the others. As women, we have to be inclusive for other women. We have to give the opportunities and a platform to others encourage them there are n number of opportunities uh, from what i have seen there are i have seen a lot of people becoming um, insecure where they are they've reached a particular point they would not share opportunities with others so that that's something that we have to come out of if we are good we are going to succeed if we are not we are not so it, it it's it all lands boils down to that if we are working hard, we would succeed. If we don't, if someone else is better, the person deserves to go ahead. That mental makeup is what is required. So one would be sharing opportunities as much as possible. Now, probably a little of philosophy comes here for me. I feel if whatever you give to life is what you get back. So if you share, there'll be other people who will share things with you and you'll you know, get maybe equal or more number of opportunities. The other is if you are at a position where you can encourage someone or include someone, then you should do that. It, whenever you have a position to hold, it is not just that position. You have a responsibility towards it. You have a responsibility towards the society. You have responsibility towards your peers. You are there like Maybe in the beginning you said, we are there because we have certain traits, we have certain characteristics. We need to utilize them and you know get people on board. Probably more the merrier is not that bad. You have more people, you have more ideas coming in. That is how you would learn. I mean, if I am there as a committee member, I'm learning from whoever, whomever is my senior. Whomever, whomever I'm working with, my peers. So that opportunity should be given to others as well. So it is opportunities, it is guidance, it is um, a platform. 
and being inclusive probably is something that we talk about a lot it's something like when we talk about feminism it's everyone has their role similarly be it women be it men honestly speaking there are a lot of men who would also not get opportunities so it is being inclusive for everyone who deserves to be included it's not just women it's just not early career researchers or uh, people who are into professional lives it's about every single person should get opportunities should get guidance like you said should get mentorship so what what you're saying what reminds me is basically what we spoke about before identifying potential and is fostering potential making yes. sure that everybody gets the opportunity yeah true i mean uh, if we don't have that ecosystem in place we, we won't be able to neither would people who are already established be able to survive nor would the newer ones be ever able to come in yeah. so mansi like just like to to say a little bit on the topic of like women in research or in hypertension research so in the, the interview that he gave for doing hypertension research you, you mentioned that it was uh, a challenge for you to be seen as a credible um a credible and a competent uh, capable woman in a man's world so and i think like that is unfortunately is it's a challenge for many uh, other women like uh i i think like uh, the awareness of the this the concept of the man's world it's not as obvious as it like could be so what kind of advice you give to this uh women uh, that are doing research how to succeed uh and uh try to uh win from this uh situation yeah, like a win-win situation i think it is just stick to your guns this is what you want to do go ahead and do it yes it is a challenge at times to be accepted as being serious uh, about what you're doing i have had comments i have had people come and tell me oh right you don't have to be the bread and earner of the family so you can do whatever you want no you don't have to uh, you don't have to give a full time you don't have to pick up a full time job so it's fair enough you can you know just pick up some small side jobs and do these things i have had people come and tell me oh you you have a young daughter you should spend time with her you should be there full time with her there are people who will come and tell me oh my god your house is not clean you know you haven't put everything in place and you're like no this is what it is and no one can be perfect i could miss probably you know not keeping everything in place one day but that doesn't mean as a woman or as a lady or as a uh, female i am not doing my work or i am not being right in doing it i cannot you know if my daughter comes and tells me or if she doesn't score very great marks so in india we have this huge concept that you know you need to uh all kids need to have above 90% you know you, you have a kid you 
should be scoring high. If my daughter doesn't score marks in one subject, that's fair enough. No one would, I mean, why do we have to uh, put that stress on the child and the parents that you need to do this? So those are real life challenges that are there. One mistake and the whole, you know, half the world is standing there to tell you, we told you, you shouldn't have gone ahead and done this. We mentally, we need to be very strong. We need to be very sure of what we want to do. If this is what you want to do, things would fall in place. People will start accepting. But yes, if you get wavered that, oh, right, I did not, you know, sit down with my daughter and make her study for five hours. And I do not do the rest of the things and I go and do this. It, it's not going to work out. We need to work within, like I said, what flexibility I have. So honestly, probably I'm very lucky that way. I, my husband is there with me. So he doesn't mind cooking. He doesn't mind helping out with cleaning the house. He doesn't mind taking care of the daughter. And that's where I get opportunities to like the May measurement month, the whole of the May, probably I'm not at home. I leave at six or seven in the morning and I'm back by 10 because I'm out there with different teams and we go out and measure the blood pressure. It's it, you have to work out that ecosystem, that environment for yourself. Till the time we don't do that, it would always be a struggle. For me, yes, it was a huge struggle. But over a period of time, when people say, see that you are committed to doing something, when they realize probably that, okay, now they cannot change my mind. This girl is probably doing, going to do what she's you know, thought she wants to do. And then somewhere people leave you alone. But okay, fair enough. You do what you want to do. I think at some point, the inspiration comes stronger. And then I think like that's what I tell the, our students is like success is the best way to shut haters down uh, or people that are not going to help you to go forward. And, and as you said for your daughter, like I think it's, it's beautiful what you're doing because your daughter may not have you teaching her how to do two plus two all the time every night, but she's seeing you, how hard you work and how determined you are. So those are like important life lessons that, um, that will help to, for her to become a strong, independent uh, woman or human being. It's very true. She, she does hopefully learn those things. And I think what is also important is that I know that culturally there is still a lot of expectation in many countries, like in, in Brazil, where I'm uh, originally from, in, including that uh, women have to be the ones doing the cooking and the cleaning and taking care of the house. But I think the reality that every time that we speak to women who are passionate about their work, who are successful, uh, there's always a contribution of the partners that are stepping in and helping and supporting them to allow them to have the time to do that. So I think that's incredibly important. And I'm really happy to hear that your husband is able to do that. Yes. That way, I, get, yeah. I think he's, he's a gem of a person. He lands up, lands up accompanying me to all conferences. So probably my first overseas conference, I was very anxious because I had not traveled out of India ever. 
so he he was there with me and unfortunately yeah, he was the one who used to carry all the bags for me <laughs> <laughs> oh well, yeah that's part of the part of the job yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, and Masya, our last question for you is about the pandemic. And as uh, um, you probably know and have noticed, uh, junior researchers have been the most affected uh, by the pandemic. And we're wondering if you have any ideas of how, uh, as a community, we can do better to support these junior scientists. Again, uh, we need to we've already all of us have gone virtual and that's a very huge uh, positive uh, to reaching out to these people to the juniors who are there to letting them know that we are there for you in you know let's come together initiate a research we'll guide you through it what are the opportunities or what are the ways where uh, you can do research what are the topics that you can do we you can get these people connected the major problem is probably we cannot, at least in India right now also, we cannot go out into the community and do a public uh, survey or a study. But when we talk about junior scientists, there's a huge chunk of people who are there in the clinical uh, field as well. And there are opportunities. But I junior, junior, I mean, everybody that is everybody. junior, if you're a clinician, if you're, if you're a lab-based researcher, being like a, a scientist in any, any field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, all of those people, I think the major barrier I personally, I feel, is they don't know whom to reach out, what, where to reach out. That's been a major, major struggle for these people. And until and unless we reach out to them probably in today's world, it, it's not going to happen. There are a lot of institutes which do not have a very great uh, research base. So, so the kind of researchers that come out or the quality of researchers that come out are not probably which will go into a very high index journal. So we need to somewhere tell these people that you don't have to always aim at the highest indexed journal. Start from a lower one, learn what research is, collaborate with people. And then uh, this it, it's like a staircase that you're climbing. So it's one step at a time that you take from our end. I, I think it's more of outreach programs, more of trying to identify where the institutes are, what those institutes are doing. Another thing probably is, um, I've always felt hypertension is treated like a cousin sister of diabetes. You know, everyone will talk about diabetes. And then I'm like, okay, you have hypertension as well. That's fair enough. So that awareness, that hypertension in itself, call it a syndrome, call it a disease, it is something that has to be tackled independently as well. So that will give them a platform to start researching and change the mindset that these students or the juniors already have that if they have to make a career, they will have to go into cardiometabolic syndrome or they'll have to go into diabetes or obesity when it comes to NCDs. Very few of them, a very, a very small selected set of them go towards hypertension. So telling them that this is a field which is viable 
as a future also. Because ultimately, they will land up researching only if they feel that, yes, I have a future here. Till the time we don't tell them that you have a future, you have a support system, you have a platform, you have collaborations that you can get. I doubt if they would want to go ahead and research in this field. So those maybe should be the approach that we have to reach out to those people. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's good. And, and uh, yeah, support them to get good mentors as well. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> mentors, absolutely. Um, that was all the questions from us today. Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure uh, to get to know you a little bit more and to listen to your story. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you, both of you. And... Um, Again, a thank you to ISH as well for giving this platform and like I said, a platform, a support system, a network and being there to guide me through the whole journey that I've had. Thank you. Thank you, Madison. Thank you for listening to our interview. If you'd like more tips on mentoring, subscribe to our podcast for more interviews with senior and emerging leaders. Stay safe, open-minded and kind.